Support comes from Kenmore Air, offering escapes to the beautiful San Juan Islands this spring. Convenient daily 45-minute flights to San Juan Island, Orcas, and Lopez Islands from only $169 per person one way. Bookings available now at KenmoreAir.com. Welcome back to Soundside on KUOW. I'm Libby Dankman. Back in June, members of Congress filed into a room on Capitol Hill to hear testimony before the House's Weaponization of the Federal Government Subcommittee. University of Washington professor Kate Starbert volunteered to sit for an interview. Ohio Representative Jim Jordan chaired the subcommittee. I Someone asked a question. I looked up and it was him and he had replaced a person who had been sitting in that chair earlier. That was a little unnerving, I'll admit. Jordan was digging into efforts to combat online disinformation. For a decade, Starbird has sought to track and understand the ways false and misleading information has spread online. But since the 2020 election, conservative lawmakers and staffers have led a campaign against researchers like Starbird, who they see as censoring their speech in violation with their First Amendment rights. Starbird and other academics helped flag false 2020 election posts and misleading COVID-19 content for social media platforms and election officials. After Republicans gained control of the House, Jordan and his allies began peppering Starbird and her colleagues in the field with subpoenas and threats of legal action, arguing the researchers were silencing political speech they simply disagreed with. Starbird says for her, the interview was a surreal moment. So what they've done is take different emails that I've written and and pretend that I meant something, I was talking about something else or meant something slightly different or interpret Mm -hmm. them in a very sort of nefarious way to tell a very ugly story. Mm -hmm. I don't usually use the word gaslit, but I felt it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm being gaslit by, by, uh, by a congressional committee. Bowing to public pressure, social media companies took some steps during 2020 to address rampant disinformation on their platforms. Starbird says 2024 is headed in a very different direction. KUOW's Katie Campbell recently spoke with UW Center for an Informed Public co-founder Kate Starbird about how she's continuing her work amidst this backdrop and how issues of disinformation, content moderation, and free speech fit together. Starbird rejects claims that she and other researchers are targeting conservative speech online, but she argues there has been a clear shift in politically motivated disinformation in the last 10 years. So the first thing I would say is, like, if you look at the long history of our research going back to 2013 in the space of rumors, misinformation and disinformation, we weren't studying far-right spaces. We've studied all sorts of mis- and disinformation campaigns, rumors that are accidental, all of these things that have spread on audiences on all sides of the political spectrum. And I don't even mean two sides. There's just all sorts of diversity in the kinds of campaigns we've studied and the kinds of just accidental rumors we've studied as well. So on top of that, I would say... Our, our research drives home the fact that everyone's vulnerable to spreading misinformation, rumors, and disinformation as well. What we've seen in recent years, and it's not just our research, it's happening across the field, is that when we study the pervasive spread of misinformation and disinformation, especially around like U.S. elections and those kinds of things, yes, people spread it on both sides of the political spectrum, but we spread far more broadly on the right around sort of election misinformation 2020. This shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. We have January 6th, sure. was, was motivated by the same lies that we were studying. We did not know there was going to be a January 6th right. in, in August of 2020. We were just studying mis- and disinformation about election processes and procedures. And it turns out, if you're documenting that and you're writing it up, the vast majority of misinformation about election processes and procedures in 2020 was spread by people that were supporters of Donald Trump and or conservative. That is not 
because our team has bias. That is what is hap- what happened in the world. But it opens us up for attack of bias because the thing that we're studying is an asymmetrical phenomenon right now. Right. And that's not because us as individuals, we are more or less susceptible by our, our, our political leanings. It's because right now on the right in the United States, there are people who have political power who are using these things strategically yeah. to gain and maintain that power. Right. And we're calling it out. So we're operating from a place where we don't all agree on what the basic fact is, right? How do you then help individuals who maybe believe the big lie that uh, President Joe Biden stole the 2020 election from Donald Trump? Or, or is that even a goal in your research to help folks you know, pull the veil aside? I think it's a hard, it's a hard goal because by the time someone is fully bought in to that set of beliefs. And, and the, we've studied it very closely. We watched those rumors and and lies and also, also misinterpretations and mischaracterizations. They weren't all lies. A lot of times people were misinterpreting what they were seeing out in the world. We watched them spread. And we, I, 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 you know, studied the, the data and, and watched people and could tell like these people, a lot of these folks had sincerely believed these false claims about, about election fraud. And even in December of 2020, I had this these thoughts of like, these folks, we're never going to be able to correct that. We or anyone else, their family and friends aren't going to be able to correct that. They really had these experiences. They, they thought they were having these experiences of, of being cheated. They were told that they were going to be cheated. They misinterpreted the evidence that they saw in the world and as they were being cheated. And so it's really hard to undo that, even if you could give them the fact about one case. I have family members who believe some of these things and they'll bring up one case and I can give them the facts about that case and they'll be like, oh, you're right, that wasn't, you're right, that's not really an example of voter fraud. But that doesn't mean it doesn't happen in these 120 other cases. So unfortunately, it's it's really hard to, to change someone's mind, even by going and unpacking one narrative. I would say, like, we think of our goals, especially going into 2024, not as correcting the big lie. What our our goals really are to, for people that are open-minded and are genuinely concerned that they're seeing something, some information that, that they're not sure about that could actually mislead them and disenfranchise them if they, you know, get the information about the wrong day to vote or whether they, you know, can use mail-in ballots in one place or what time things are due. We're trying to address folks with open questions and and help them find information that can help them correct rumors about election processes and procedures. And that's all kind of forward-looking with the idea that if you've been in an argument and someone, you know, they correct you and you get yourself up against a wall and you're like, there's no way I'm going to acknowledge that they're Mm -hmm. right right now. But I might not make the mistake mistake Certainly. in the future. Right. So I do think people are going to be savvier, mm. even people that maybe believed it, it, some of the things in 2020, may be savvier going into 2024. And I think our hope is is for the people that are open-minded and really looking for the truth that we can help them find good information that they can use to to you know, make a determination of, of what they should and shouldn't believe. Right. It's really hard to admit you're wrong, especially, say, if you're on social media saying something about the big lie, again, as an example, and showing that you believe a thing. And then if you're presented with proof that it's wrong, it can be hard to backtrack, especially publicly in a way that could further help dis- dispel that. Yeah. And especially these aren't just like factual beliefs. These are identity-based beliefs. These are part of how people have come to see the world. Mm. And when you're trying to correct the facts, like you're actually going against someone's like identity and sense of who they are. And it's just not a, it's not even a battle that's worth having in some cases. I think it's almost better to, instead of like, let's talk about, you know, 
this case or that case, let's actually talk about like how secure our elections are. Let's talk about all the different layers of security that we have and let's actually open this up. So how do we get like where people are genuinely confused, they're finding these inconsistencies, let's help them see like these aren't inconsistent, they're part of the process, here's how things work. And so instead of like fact checking narratives from 2020, I really think we need to start building a better understanding of how the process works and how secure it is, how many different, you know, checks and balances we have along the way to really help people that are interested gain more, you know, gain a more sophisticated understanding of how things work. And hopefully that will be more resilient to false claims about election fraud. Sure. You know, what we're kind of hinting at here is that the the new reality is coming, the 2024 election cycle. It's here. (laughs) And it's a very different world in your research already. From 2020, there was a, a different social media landscape to navigate within. The kinds of disinformation, I assume, are were different. Going back to 2016, it seemed, at least in my memory, that the main thing we were concerned with was like the idea of Russian bots and hackers and that sort of thing. And And now it's a whole host of things. And it's kind of all of that in one to a certain degree. So going into this election cycle, the simple question, if it is simple, is what's your chief concern? I don't know. I I can't boil it down to to one thing. I can tell you what what we're facing in terms of the different kinds of challenges. You know, at the societal level, I think people are are vulnerable. They're soft on a lot of these narratives. They come to see democracy through these frames that that elections can be rigged. And once you begin to see things that way, you, you... you twist every piece of evidence into fitting that that frame. And so people are looking for evidence to, to see that they're being cheated. Now, why does that matter? I mean, you know, one is it can lead to, to people not accepting election results. But other places, like, actually, it's beginning to make elections less secure because we're, we're seeing that rhetoric used to undermine some of the checks and balances, to to push back on how things work in ways like like taking apart the ERIC systems where um, election professionals were able to share voter registries across states to check to see if people were registered in two places at once. This is actually something that made our elections more secure. Well, conspiracy theories about that company and that product have actually caused some states to pull away from it. So we're seeing this sort of this bad cycle of misinformation actually causing us to, to make things worse and less secure. So so I'm worried about I'm worried about that. On the on the researcher side, we face a lot of challenges right now. The information space has changed since 2020 drastically. And so we've got a much more fragmented social media space where information is really happening on a range of different platforms. Whereas researchers, we used to rely a lot on Twitter data for just like, as a proxy for what was happening, especially in real time on live things. Well, Twitter is not necessarily where everything's happening anymore because of the destabilization of what's happening there. And on top of that, we no longer have any access to Twitter data, or we have very limited access to Twitter data where we used to have this beautiful window of like, because Twitter posts were all public. And so we were all able to, uh, as researchers, we could tap into that public data and get a sense of what people were talking about, what rumors are spreading. Well, you know, Twitter is now X and X means no more data. And as researchers, we just we don't have really any visibility into what's happening in that platform or very limited visibility, which means it's hard to keep track of in real time. Like, what are the the rumors that are taking off? And and so it's hard to know what rumors 
to correct if you don't know what rumors are taking off. So I think election officials are also going to be facing that same kind of thing. It's like, where do they even go to see where their their constituents are talking about things in order to get a sense of what information do they need to get out into the public to, to help clarify what's going on? Right. On top of that, we've got um, the, the dawn of the generative AI age, yes. where disinformation is easy to create. So we've got these very powerful tools that almost anyone can use to create propaganda, disinformation, including disinformation about election processes and procedures. We might, you know, see uh, visual deepfakes, video deepfakes. They've always been on the horizon. That's here now. And then on top of that, even more likely than a state actor, hacking into our systems and changing votes. I think it's very rare, very unlikely. Mm-hmm. What they can do, what they probably have done before and and probably have something that they might think about doing is do a little bit of a probe into a system, hack into it without changing much, but then run an information attack oh. to say that they've done something. Sure. And that could undermine trust in Certainly. that election, right? So this combination of like our mistrust in the process that's been sort of fomented for these political reasons combined with like, you know, foreign attacks on our democracy is is something that is keeping me up at night. We don't know how likely it is. It's right. just one of those possibilities that sure. that keep us a little bit worried. Congressional Republicans, namely uh, Ohio Representative Jim Jordan, have accused you and your fellow researchers of of censoring conservative views through your work, especially, and correct me if I'm wrong, with the the assistance of social media companies, in this case, I believe Twitter, where you did have access to that data that you don't have access to anymore. Yeah. So I guess the first obvious question is, have you censored conservative voices and views? I think... Influencers on the right, including political actors and others, have have very effectively twisted this idea of platform moderation into this in, in, and redefined it as censorship. So I would the first thing I would push back of like platforms are allowed to moderate content. That is not censorship. That is actually their First Amendment rights. At the same time, they've tw- they've twisted the narrative actually in a couple of different places to even have you ask the question of whether I I was you know whether I or my team was part of censorship actually demonstrates how well they've twisted this narrative. So the fir- I guess the first answer I would say is let's even step back. So we were part of this group called the Election Integrity Partnership. It was four different organizations. So there was another research team at Stanford. There was our research team at the University of Washington. And then there were two sort of like industry kind of research teams, one at DFR Lab. They might be a nonprofit. And then Graphica, which is a, which is a for-profit research company, I believe. So we had these four research teams that we were working together very specifically on identifying, analyzing, and communicating about false, misleading, and unsubstantiated claims about election processes and procedures. We're not talking about politics. We're not talking about policies. We're not talking about what candidates' children do. We are talking about very specifically around like voting and how the votes are counted, these kinds of things. And our our, our goal was to help people get accurate information about the election in order to, you know, not be disenfranchised and also to not lose faith in a, in a process based on false, false information. So it was a big project. It was a messy project. We were putting together the plane as we flew it. Our team at the University of Washington we didn't send anything to the platforms. We we sometimes tagged things within a system and said someone might want to send this to the platform. We think this is false and and it's spreading on these in these different social media platforms. But that happened sort of outside of our view. We didn't set that up. We didn't organize it. Our team was really focused on just figuring out, you know, 
we would we would take a tip about a rumor and we would just study how it spread and which platforms and who's spreading it and like what kind of patterns are, are, are you know, what kind of networks is it spreading through? And then we would write up tweet threads and blog posts and, and do press conferences and other kinds of things. Our real goal was to get this stuff out publicly. And so almost 90, 90%, 90 to 95% of our effort was focused on making public outputs about, about the research that we were doing. And so we end up having to talk about these weird claims about, oh, you're sending something to the platforms. Like, actually, most of the impact of that project came from us writing these blog posts to let people know how these false claims were spreading Got it. and to give people insight into that. What we've seen now is that after January 6th, the deep story of a rigged election became a liability for Republicans because, you know, they had to deal with this. And what, what would be better than distracting from that liability? And so we see them shift instead to the deep story of censorship. And the, why they do that is in part that distraction. It also allows them to create a situation where they can claim, you know, the real threat to democracy is not this attempt that we just had to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power. The real threat to democracy is the so-called censorship of of conservatives. So in the, in the rigged election deep story, the election officials are the villains. In the new deep story, the, the villains are researchers and tech platforms and, and a few government agencies that get wrapped up into some conspiracy theories. And it just so happens that, you know, my team is one of the researchers that has been pulled in uh, as the new villains in this, in this deep story of censorship. And, and one of the ways it works is not by being like, you know, e- even the way you ask the question is on the, on the terms of their frame, right? And so what they do is they've twisted a bunch of things just a little bit, and each one is twisted enough that it's hard to go at that and say, factually, that's not true. It's just a little bit false. But what's happened is you've, if you twist enough things, you've, you've got an inverted reality. <laughs> and so the first thing that, that they've done is very effectively redefine platform moderation and censorship. Then they've made a claim that, that researchers who were voluntarily sending things to platforms like see something, say th- something, that we somehow were making the decisions for platforms. No, actually, the platforms were making their own decisions. And, and our team was involved in, in a project that we were doing, as we were doing real-time analysis, just about election processes and procedures. We're not talking about political speech broadly. We're talking about a very specific project where we're trying to help people get accurate information about election processes and procedures, when to vote, where to vote, and also kind of address rumors that were delegitimizing election results. And we were voluntarily sending some stuff to platforms. And sometimes they would say, hey, that's 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 great. Thanks for that. We're going to add a label to that kind of content. Other times, they didn't do anything. They're like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. It's not our thing. So any number of people can do this. You can you can send things to platforms if you want. You, there's buttons you can push within the platform environment. But you know, this project has been reframed as if we were somehow making the decisions for platforms and also that that would somehow be censoring conservative speech. I don't think each, either of those things are true. On top of that, and this is, this is harder for me to talk about, is that we were trying to work with and help election officials, because election officials are the ones who could see when rumors were spreading about them. And also, they're the ones that have the accurate information about when it is the time to vote or when mail-in ballots have to be submitted on time in order to be counted for their for their area. And one of the complexities is there's more than 3,000 different sort of voting jurisdictions in the United States. And the rules in one place are not necessarily the rules in, in, the, in other place. Even one county over, they don't use the same machines. You know, there may be differences in, in, the, in the processes and procedures. And so you really do have to figure out you know, if this is true, you got to find the right person. Right. And it's hard to coordinate with 3,600 different 
people all Certainly. at one time while they're on their election day where they're just trying to count votes, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so the, if they could see, see, saw some information, we could analyze it, see, okay, where is it spreading? See if there's a fact check, get their fact check out there. And then if it looked like there's a falsehood that was spreading that could be harmful and could, you know, confuse somebody about when or where to vote or cause people to lose trust in the process based on false content, we, you know, we're just going to let platforms know. So it turns out that's within our First Amendment rights as researchers to talk to whomever we want and to share information with the platforms if we want. And it's within their First Amendment rights to choose whether or not they listen to us. Mm. Our freedom of speech has been framed as censorship in a really disingenuous way, but also in a very strategically effective way. And we're caught up in that, which is no fun, I have to admit. I can't imagine it is. <laughs> no. Well, and, and to your point about we can have a conversation about what censorship is. Do you think you're being censored by or is there an attempt to censor you by folks like Jim Jordan? I think there has been a very effective effort to chill the speech of academic researchers and others who have tried to call out the spread of misinformation and disinformation about about the 2020 election in particular. And I, I think it is it is being effective. I think there is chilled speech. I definitely have had, you know, to be very careful for months about what I say and how, how I say it. And I think there are other researchers that are very cautious about being in this space. So, yes, I, I do think that's, you know, it, it's very interesting to see that we have these claims that, that there is like government... Uh, censorship as in actually watching these uh, elected officials use the power of their office to threaten and yeah to threaten academics so much that 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 there is an effect on our our speech absolutely and we're waiting for the supreme court to to come through we do have a a ruling out of the 5th circuit that said it's likely within our our rights as private citizens researchers to you know this is part of our speech is to to study things and report them and communicate them with whomever we want but there will be another it's going to the supreme court so we'll have to wait to see how they come through and and weigh uh weigh some of these things so to try to put a big old bow on this cuz it's the holidays <laughs> I, I after all yeah, i don't i don't know if there's a bow to put on it but well, the, the Bo, why should people care at the end of the day about this? This is These are big academic issues, at least on their face. As we've discussed, there are some pretty significant real-world, real-time effects, such as January 6th, let's say. Why, why is it important for the everyday KUW listener to hear this and, and really stop and think about it? Well, the first one is in the context of democracy. We, um, we are seeing, we have seen, we have, we have enough evidence to, to be able to say pretty, pretty certainly that the spread of false claims about the 2020 election had detrimental effects on democracy in the sense that we saw an attempt to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power in the United States. We saw those you know, efforts to mobilize political action on top of those false claims, including an effort to, to not certify an election and to change the results of an election. So I think our democracy, that's a very acute sign that our democracy is like is in tension because of some of the the ways that that false claims are are spreading through society i i think that just the resulting diminished trust that we have in information just because of the proliferation of misinformation has led to sort of like a diminished trust in the in the information we see especially in online environments and now with with the dawn of ai and sort of how much content is is increasingly 
plausible but not accurate. I think we're, we're facing this sort of diminished trust in information that can have consequences in a democracy where you really have to, you know, we have to come together to govern ourselves. And to do that, we don't have to agree on everything, but we have to have some sense of a shared reality. We have to know what the rules are, and we have to trust that the outcomes of elections are the outcomes of elections, and we have to buy in or democracy doesn't work. Well, Kate Starbird is the co-founder of the Center for an Informed Public at the University of Washington. Her research focuses on misinformation and disinformation, as we've talked a lot about today. And thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was KUOW's Katie Campbell interviewing Kate Starbird, the co-founder of the Center for an Informed Public at the University of Washington. Her research focuses on misinformation and disinformation. You're listening to Soundside on KUOW. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.